I don't think I can say that I'm I am a mystic without being connected to community. So I can't say that for me. I I need to be connected to community in order to be a mystic. How do you not? Welcome to Contemplating Now, a podcast focused on the intersection of contemplation and social justice. Through interviews with scholars, mystics, and activists, this podcast will focus on contemplative spiritualities, direct relationship with issues of social justice. I'm your host, Cassidy Hall, a filmmaker, podcaster, pastor, and student, and I'm here to learn with you. Davlin Hill is the executive director for Speaking Down Barriers. Speaking Down Barriers is an organization whose mission is equity for all. It seeks to build community across all that seeks to divide us by ending oppression and valuing everyone. Devlin has a master's in marriage and family therapy from Converse College and is currently working on a master's in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry. Devlin is a poet activist and alongside providing counseling services, she's led support groups, presented research, and conducted university presentations around racial trauma and oppression. Devlin Hill also known as Davlin Athena, has been published by the Plant and Poetry Journal and has also been featured by Spark and Echo. Well, Davlin, thank you so much for joining today. You are very welcome. I'm glad to be here. So one of the ways I like to kind of begin like orienting our conversation is by asking you what the words contemplation and or mysticism mean to you and how do you see them lived out in the world today? That's a, (laughs) I mean, you have some questions, but I don't know. I feel overwhelmed by the idea of mysticism. I'll start with that one. Um, Just when you hear about the Desert Fathers and some of the, the people who have known God in ways that make me wonder about how it's even possible to be close and achieve some sort of like felt oneness is kind of what I can, what I think about when I think about mysticism is being super connected to God so much so that you feel you have a felt feeling of oneness. Like I I believe that oneness can exist without you feeling it, but I feel like my particular journey as a mystic is to be united, have like a uniting with the universal Christ. That's, that's kind of what I see. And so when I think about people, some of the um, nuns of old and um, people who've had experiences that they, they, they then go back and relate to us, like Luther has is to have said to have those meetings with God. It's just, it's amazing, you know? And it feels because of like our society is so focused on logic, it feels like, oh, well, that's extra biblical. You know, a lot of people say, that doesn't matter. Your experiences don't matter. Only thing that matters is the word because it's written. And you're like, "Mm." for a lot of folks, it wasn't written when it was happening, not for them. They didn't have access. So I, I, I sometimes wonder if our logic leads us away from kind of having the uniting that many of the mystics talk about. So, and so I think of contemplation as a way to um, follow out or a way to see mysticism lived out. So if I live a contemplative um, life, then, you know, um, prayer, prayer as, as the mundane or in the mundane, um, uh, contemplating blades of grass or um, thinking deeply about um, things that just kind of happen in the earth, in the universe, and how that leads us back to the creator and oneness. And so having a, a contemplative life 
through like reading and journaling and meditation and community and serving leads me to having then mystical experiences. So then I can refer to myself as a mystic because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else you, you get there without contemplation. Yeah. I love the things you're saying. And, and you also said, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said, I believe oneness can exist without feeling it. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit, a little bit more into that because yeah, it seems to me, right. There's a, there's an effort to contemplative life that maybe draws us into mysticism that draws us into the oneness and sometimes we don't feel it because we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I get at. And the, the, my, my feelings, I got to speak to those are, you know, they're varied. And so I keep working toward the feeling, but the oneness already exists. So I come from just believing in, in my doctrine that I'm already connected to God, that I'm already in oneness. And so my journey is having that felt oneness of becoming more and more able to kind of tap into oneness in my life. And so that comes and goes, you know, one day I can be like, ah, bliss. I'm so connected to the God of the universe. Ah. And the next day I'm like, is there a God? Like, I think there is. So based on like my feelings. And so that's what I meant by like, you know, I can have, I have oneness every day, whether I tap into it or not. Yeah. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And what about this oneness in terms of our unity with our fellow human? So I guess along with that, do you think that there's an important aspect of being a contemplative and or a mystic that also innately makes us an activist and or um, someone who points to the collective unity of all of humanity? I don't think I can say that I'm I am a mystic without being connected to community. So I can't say that for me. I, I need to be connected to unity in order to be a mystic. How do you not? Um, because each person kind of gives us another picture of who God is. And so each time I'm connected to people in community, they reveal another part of God that I couldn't have gotten to on my own. Um, and so as they either, you know, are growing towards their relationship with God and opening oneness or um, are in a, in a suffering um, because of the injustice in the world. And so I'm connected to that as well, to the suffering of God, the suffering of the Christ. And so if I'm not connected to those people, how do I, how do I get to see that lens? I can't. And then also like, we're literally the love of God made flesh. And so with, without us, people don't get to see God and we don't get to see God. And so I don't, I don't understand how I really don't. I'd love to meet some folks. Tell me, no, I can live this life on my own and be connected to God. And it's wonderful. I'm like, mm, the God in you is going to be pushing out towards other people. Right. Like that's what I, that's what I think anyway. Amen. Amen. So in your work with speaking down barriers, which is about fostering dialogue and trust among people with different backgrounds and experiences, First of all, maybe you could tell us maybe the origin story of Speaking Down Barriers, um, and then I could ask a follow-up question about that. Sure. Um, Speaking Down Barriers started in November of 2013, and it started originally um, as Poetry and Conversation. Um, Before the start in 2013, um, the founder of Speaking Down Barriers' name is Marlanda DeKine, and uh, they were at a, a conference and did a poem, and Scott Neely, who is our current chief strategist heard heard her do a poem and was like oh, that was amazing and how it transformed the room and was like hmm then saw her again and same thing happened and so they decided hmm 
I want to have poetry in conversation. And so Marlanda, who is a spoken word poet, she's an amazing poet. She and some other spoken word poets, all Black, uh, for, well, for the most part Black, um, got together and started to do this poetry in conversation. And it began to grow. And Marlanda decided to um, make it Speaking Down Barriers. It was named by our current admin support. She was looking for a name like not poetry in conversation. And so it moved into, well, we want to speak down barriers. And so that's how it got its name. And so Speaking Down Barriers had poetry conversation and food and so you know what's better than that <laughs> a communal meal where you can like eat together starts that way um talk about a, a, a topic whatever it is open up with a dialogue question and then poetry pushes that dialogue to places it couldn't go for especially first person narratives you know it's hard for people to argue with your first person narrative poem they can listen to it and receive it and so it bypasses some of that stuff that comes up and blocks us when we think logically only and also it causes us to feel things in our bodies whereas a lot of time I know for me I didn't even recognize my body was actually a part of life it was so much lived in my head and feels and I was like wait a minute feelings actually happen in your body so what am I actually feeling and spoken word made me feel that in 2015 became speaking down barriers and then start to reach out and do trainings our current mission is equity for all we revamped that in 2020 and begin to think about what the world looks like when there's equity for all well first of all it, it's ending oppression all kinds, racism, uh, homophobia, transphobia, uh, all the gender violence, the ways that immigrants are treated in this country, all of that, like all of that kind of oppression needs to go. And then also valuing everyone. So while I might not agree with you, I value your humanity because you are human. When I devalue you, I lose myself. And so I have to hold on to that, even when I don't agree with you. And I can have a conversation with folks I don't agree with. As long as their disagreement doesn't oppress me, I'm okay. When we start to get oppression, I can no longer be in conversation with you, but I still believe in your dignity as a human. I'm over here just like jotting down all these notes of these beautiful things you're saying. You can't be a mystic without being connected to community and this notion of poetry being able to transform the room and you just said when I devalue you I lose myself I mean these are just such such profound things and and I'm seeing the ways that this goes back to the beginning of the conversation where we talked about that experience of oneness and this existence of oneness with with God with each other and how how to touch that and I'm wondering if um, if you've experienced kind of the moments where we touch that or where you've been able to touch that with other people in a room um, as with poetry as this transforming force that maybe takes us to this liminal space or this transcendent space. Oh, it's a good word. Yeah. Transcendence. Yeah. I've been in many rooms where this has happened um, where, where even things are stuck until a poet does a poem and it's like all of a sudden the room opens up or we've also started using art so when um we've been using virtual spaces so the art is like in your face when you can you can do it on zoom where like the art's like wow okay so i'm seeing this art hearing from this artist and the hearing their experience and all of a sudden the room opens up again or things we never thought of <clears throat> it's a tool of expansion and so I'm really big on freedom chants. I love a freedom chant. Um, freedom chants, you know, from all the way from uh, enslaved folks using the oral tradition, using language for all kinds of purposes for um, 
using it to be incognito, to plot the way forward, to encourage hearts, then becoming part of the, the gospel tradition, then becoming huge in the civil rights. And I, f- I feel like now it's even now, like all, always been existing, but it feels like it's more uh, more aware of it now. And so I've been in rooms where Freedom, Freedom Chants have done the same thing. It's like a uniting, a like oneness when we're all like fighting and singing and hoping for the same for equity and for justice and for just being able to kind of live and live and thrive. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I notice is that you define yourself not solely as poet, nor solely as an activist, but as a poet activist. And I wonder if you could share what it means to, to merge these words as a role. Are poets also innately activists by the nature of the way um, poets use words to transform or transcend the moment to point to something that could be amid what is. I think when you say it like that, <laughs> um, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess to be fair, right. We can, we can all misuse words still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, d- I don't necessarily think so when I use the, the word activist, um, I mean, speaking truth to power. And so in that way, not all poets are activists. Now, in the way that they kind of reveal what is and can a lot of times cause like all of the what all the fluff around something to disappear so that you get to the heart of the matter, then in that way, I believe they could be all be activists, right? To be able to take nature, even the way of like Wordsworth and be like, wow, I see nature in a new way or have a, a deeper appreciation for nature. Um, or when I read um, some of Mary Oliver's stuff, um, I'm wowed by the beauty of language and uh, the ability of language to connect us in a way. Like I don't, Mary Oliver and I don't have anything in common, but when she puts the words on the page, we have a lot in common. So in that way, like um, causing humanity to maybe appreciate itself and to see us in each other's eyes, then I think it definitely works. However, I don't think we all use uh, poetry to speak truth to power. And that's what I mean when I say a poet activist. I want to use my words to make people feel something and to feel uh, like Julie Cameron says that, that she wanted her, her words to make people feel something. And I, I want the same. And so when you feel something though, I want you to do something <laughs> and hopefully to be a part of the fixing the problem of be a part of change, whatever that looks like. Yeah. In your work, do you see this work of um, poet activist and mystic as intertwined? Do you see those as similar or one that leads to the other, or is there a relationship there? I guess I'm wondering. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, when I talk about the felt oneness, you like have to pick up your pen and write down a poem because it's like grand. And then other times I'm just kind of writing from uh, humanity, from that place of kind of whatever I'm experiencing. Um, Sometimes about various like traumas or enjoys both, um, find the page. But then sometimes there's that work that you know, this um, poem was not, not mine. I'm just scribing it down. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Do you think there's anything to learn from contemplation um, and or mysticism that informs things like activism and or collective protest or movements that take place today? And then vice versa, right? Can those also uh, feed the contemplation and feed the mysticism, feed the mystical moments, I guess I should say? Yeah, I do. I do. 
I think when um, lots of people are, especially are out and protesting and taking care of each other, making sure people have water and making sure that people are um, taking care of themselves, even in the midst of kind of protesting the state, that for me is beautiful community and an opportunity to think about in the moment, but definitely after the moment, like, what was that like? How do we share with each other? Uh, how do we, did we move anything forward? Having those discussions, I think helps you lead a, a contemplative life. Um, so I think the feedback loop works both ways. Um, and yeah, uh, those things definitely feed poetry, I think, because poetry is of the stuff of everyday life too. Um, and so being able to kind of really live in moments uh, with other people and alone and see God in those moments, I feel like helps the page and helps the poetry, which then is goes forth for people to read and enjoy and be moved by. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I write poems for myself too, but I, I want people to read it, you know, and that most people, well, some people do write just for their journal and just for themselves, but that's just not the kind of poetry or, or painting or anything that I do. It's not just for me. Yeah. Speaking of, I would love for you to read a poem. I do want to ask one more question before we get to that. You talked a lot about logic at the beginning of the conversation. And do you think our obsession with, with logic and knowing and want to do, wanting to do things right and the talking about the thing, but not doing the thing, do you think that that makes, not only does it make us slow down, right, but it, doesn't it also make things just less close to the oneness in the way it makes a lot of things inaccessible? Um, or unreachable or right there's just too many words in the way Ooh, frequently feel that Free, I frequently feel that even my own right now right <laughs> no 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 I frequently feel that way that there are so many words so so many and even in silence people are like oh I had silent time today but really the silent time was music with words and it was reading and so like even self wasn't silent even though you were alone like solitude does not equal without words and so I've been thinking I had been thinking about that previously like what does it mean to actually breathe in a moment with actual silence you know, not the phone, not scrolling, not not even not writing and journaling about it, but actual silence. So yeah, I think it does make things um, inaccessible. There's some things that just really need to be felt. Um, we're talking about. I was talking in a group where people are talking about language and how um, even when you don't speak the same language, you can still communicate. You can sp- communicate heart and care and concern. And yeah, that I think that that means something. Yeah. So at this ordination where our our paths cross, you wrote and you read a beautiful poem titled Beloved Community, which moved me and I'm sure everyone else in that room to tears. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind reading that for us today. I do not mind at all. Thank you. I'm really, I really love to hear that it it moved folks. Um, It's really, you know, I want to make people feel and so in so feeling uh, it's not necessarily I guess there is a direct feeling I'd like to feel people to feel uh, connected to each other connected to God connected to themselves that poetry would be connection so our goal is to create a beloved community and this will require a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives Martin Luther King Jr.
We, us, black, white, brown, human, gathered like oaks, pines in a forest, women, men, non-binary, transgender, gender expansive, are, is, state of being, the image of God, we shine like constellations in the galaxy. Beloved, be loved, one who is loved, taken care of, needs met, heart filled, accepted, forgiven much for terrible and for inaction, not fighting for the least of these, and still being the beloved. Community, I am because we are sharing the cup, being the body, binding each other's wounds in places we cannot reach ourselves. We are the bride. God calls us woman, exalts woman, asks us to become woman, to receive all our good from spirit, to enter into a covenant relationship. We co-create, expand, thrive. All things become shared, humanity, flaws, and all. Love made visible through flesh. Beloved community loves all, endures all, because we do it together, like trees gathered in a forest, like wandering lights in the night sky who create constellations, binding each other's wounds, loving the least of these because we are the least of these. We are the image of God. Be beautiful, at times bruised and broken. Beloved, be loved. We are the beloved community. Ashe and amen. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, just as powerful once again. I also found some of your work on a page called Plants and Poetry. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so I um, have gone through years of illness and um, at times uh, just really unable to do anything. And um, during that time, I had a tree outside my window and I named the tree Dolores. And yes, Dolores, I would stare at Dolores. I would talk to Dolores and Dolores like got me through just uh, thinking about her roots. I read a book on trees um, while I was ill and just learning about trees and um, how they communicate with each other. And um, they're super smart. And it's just, uh, it's just like really God's <laughs> design is amazing. Um, but yeah, like they communicate with each other. They help each other survive attacks. Um, they will give what uh, the other trees need and receive what they need from the other trees. And so just looking at Dolores after having read that, I was like, I don't know, like there's some kind of vibrational thing happening between us and we are all connected and we're connected to all of life. And so um, I wrote a poem, a short poem about Dolores and uh, playing some poetry journal, took it in. So I mean, I really want to read you to read that now. Oh, and you named her Dolores. <laughs> yeah. So it's really short, but it said it's called Dolores. The tree outside my window's name is Dolores. I open my blinds in the morning and she waves at me. This morning, she was changing clothes. The beautiful green she normally wears turned into hues of orange, red, and yellow. I was too tired to change clothes. The wind blew so fiercely that she shook and trembled. I would love to see her roots. I wrapped myself in a blanket and closed my eyes. Mm, that's great. Thank you. So, Davlin, thank you so much for joining and just for this incredible conversation and I'm wondering where people can find you and find your work and if you're working on anything currently that we should be on the lookout for. Sure thanks um, so speaking down barriers website is www.speak 
downbarriers.org um, and not speaking, but speak down. Um, and we, um, on our website page, we're also on Facebook and Instagram at Speak Down Barriers. You can find out all the things. Um, we're having all of our events virtual at the moment. So we love it when people come from far away and from close by. Um, just love all the peoples to come and have a conversation. We're really trying to build a multi-ethnic coalition. And the only way we can do that is by having conversations together. Um, also, you can find our poets. We have a spotlight poet uh, every four months. And currently, um, her name is Sheree Walton. and But we all call her Fire. And Fire is amazing as well. So people can find out um, about her work and the people who come before her. Um, Shay Black and the Celestial Poet have been our, our previous spotlight artists. And we want people to come and share their poetry and their life. And um, they do an awesome job uh, using poetry and art to push us forward. And it's good to get to know someone. So after four months, I feel like we know these poets and they know us and become part of the community. Right now, I myself am uh, holding abolition really close to my heart. Um, I consider myself an abolitionist. And um, for me, that means uh, abolition is creating things. So um, it means creating a world where everybody can thrive and where we have uh, things set up for harm, like uh, conflict mediation, conflict resolution, conflict coaching. Um, we also have uh, trans, uh, transformative healing circles and uh, we have places where uh, harm can be mitigated versus um, the system that we have with over-policing, over-surveillance, um, and just profiting off of um, off of crime, crime, making things that really aren't criminal, criminal, um, making things more important than people. And so while that exists, I just can't get behind that system. So um, I want to bring it all down and also build. So it's a both end for me. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and for taking the time to chat. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm grateful for your work. I'm grateful for your voice. And um, yeah, the the mystical presence that you brought that day when, when I heard you read poetry was was transformative and, and transcendent. So thank you. Well, thank you. Sometimes I wonder, I think, what my words are doing. You know, we spend, I spend a lot of time sending my work out. Somebody take my work, somebody take my work. And so on the other end of that is like the felt experience of folks. And so it gives me kind of joy to think, oh, the work is doing something regardless of, you know, what um, it does in other places. When I hear from people, it's like, okay, my work is doing good. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's episode. To support this work and get sneak peeks of new episodes, join me at patreon.com slash Cassidy Hall. The podcast is created and edited by me, Cassidy Hall. Today's episode features the song Trapezoid Instrumental by Emily Sankofa, which she has generously allowed us to use. Please find this song and more from Emily Sankofa on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify or by visiting e-sankofa.com. The podcast is created in partnership with The Christian Century, a progressive ecumenical magazine based in Chicago. The podcast is also created in partnership with Enfleshed, an organization focused on spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. For liturgical resources, head over to enfleshed.com.